Nation podcast. Uh, we're back for another episode of Dive Cuts. I believe we're on 26, 7, something like that. Uh, season 4, all about Mizzou basketball. Everything you could ever hope and dream a Mizzou basketball podcast would be. Uh, we are here to fall short of those expectations. Uh, I am your host, Sam Snelling. With me, as always, is my good friend, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm well, sir. Uh, I'm admiring your beautiful uh, roster spreadsheets, which amid this just chaotic transfer portal, bring me serenity and calm. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for uh, doing that much. I check it about every other day just to make sure that I have some semblance of what's going on or a clue as to what's happening. Sometimes I open, I'm like, oh, Garrison Brooks going to Mississippi State. And it's a nice little surprise. It's not like a, a jaw dropper, but it's like 15 seconds. Like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So thank you for creating something that every couple days just gives me some interest. So appreciate you doing that. All the labor <laughs> you put into it. Uh, so th- this is something that I... A couple of years ago, like I toyed around with sort of like having like a continuity kind of post like this to try to kind of figure out, um, you know, and I like I, I built it out and I had the spreadsheet kind of done and I just wasn't completely happy with it. And so I sort of abandoned it and it became like I just did it all before I wrote my previews, um, which was really kind of a pain in the butt. Um, and then you pointed out, I think it was you, you pointed out uh, Jacob Varner. Um, who's a, an Auburn fan has a uh, his own site and he has kind of this, this Google spreadsheet and he had something which is a lot like what I wanted to do um, so I ripped off his idea but what he was doing wasn't did, didn't make sense to me in a, in a couple ways so he had it all kind of laid out in one one sheet within the spreadsheet and I broke it down into tabs. Yeah, you need the I, tabs, that, bro. You need the tabs. Like, like it, to me, that's easier to navigate. And uh, and then once you have it broken into tabs, like uh, the thing that I really like is you can kind of go to the. And it, I mean, people can't really look at this, <laughs> but we could describe it. Um, but I I built like this main page where you can basically just go and see like how many. Uh, scholarships like each team has open currently how many guys they have graduating who's transferring out etc and i just think that that's like a helpful helpful key um and so yeah it's it's been a lot of work um navigating your way through verbal commits (laughs) uh which i don't know like who runs that site dude but um they are putting in work and it is a lot of hustle uh, the site's not the best. Uh, it's a little, a uh, little wonky, and uh, yeah, I mean, it has a tendency to kind of crash at times. And I, I just think like uh, the amount of information that they're putting into it, you you still have to kind of tip your cap because it's it is a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's the sorting feature there. Like they could do some stuff on the sorting feature side, but I'm not going to nitpick them because. It's a backstop, and they're they're tracking twelve hundred kids in the portal. So it just yeah. seems like a tick move to be like, "Well, your search functionality." Nah, guys, you all are probably like your back end stacks are probably like just baking right now. So kudos to you for keeping that site alive and just working right now. Um, but you're doing that, and I'm slowly working my way through each of these like scouting profiles so that's what we're doing right now sam's tracking uh all the comings and goings and i'm trying to dive way too deep and write way too many words on mizzou's on the guys that mizzou's pulling out of the portal so that that's kind of what we're doing amid all this chaos and in the early days of the off season well so i think one of the things that uh that we were preaching a bit as the as people were looking into the future and and uh, and sort of looking at the amount of turnover that this uh, last year's team was going to have, and sort of looking at the guys who were at the time slated to come back and saying Mizzou's going to suck next year, and I think one of the things that you and I were kind of preaching about it is we were saying 
it's entirely possible that that Mizzou sucks next year, but let's wait until until we have a final roster because you never know who's going to transfer. Uh, you never know like what the spring period is going to look like recruiting wise, and until you see finalized rosters, you don't really know where Missouri might fall in the pecking order. Um, I think you and I both felt we had Missouri pegged pretty close. Uh, you know, once once those rosters were set uh, last year, and I think we were both pretty close to where they ended up. Um, you don't always nail it, but I, I feel because we we know Missouri maybe better than other programs, we're more likely to get Missouri right than we are to kind of nail every team in the SEC. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, six SEC teams have had at least four transfers and then everyone else after that's at five or more like exits if you're counting if you're counting guys graduating and transferring out and that's not even getting to guys declaring for the draft but i'm not gonna wrap that in because we there are guys who may stay there are guys who may go but definitely guys going out the program four is the floor and if you're seeing like in most years like four guys leaving it's considered Slightly robust turnover this year. It's pretty modest. Like we've got Missouri's got nine guys leaving. A and M's got nine guys leaving. Um, Georgia's got eight. So <laughs> now, what I would say to about Missouri is that half of Missouri's were expected because they were graduating, and then the bot like the some of the transfers out. Three of them have been bottom-of-the-roster guys. Like, even if you kept them... Even if you added those guys back into the roster, like Parker Brown, Torrance Watson, Ed Chang, like, if you added those guys back, Missouri still... Missouri goes from losing 80% production to 70% production. Like, the impact there is marginal at best. Yeah. So, I think that, that... to your point about how we know Missouri's churn, like, that's the other thing, like, before you speak about, like, oh my god, what's happening in all these other programs, like, you've really got to dig in, and that's what I'll do after we know all this, and I'll do what I do every spring, which is calculate the returning production for every team, because I think that really matters. Like, you need to see how many guys are leaving, but also, like, what's the bottom line impact on their production? We don't know that yet, because the churn and like just the way the portal's working right now rosters are far from set like i think every team except for Ole Miss and south carolina right now has a spot to fill and at least half the conference is has two plus spots left so we're not anywhere close to being able to kind of take a look at what production is but missouri's on the high end in terms of exits but i i still would have said even if you strip them out they were still going to lose a lot of production anyway and it's yeah it's 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 less about like when you're talking about like losing what 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 are you losing i think you're you're less concerned about losing non-production um and in missouri's case really the only guy that was productive and i mean and we've talked at length about the inconsistency of xavier pinson um you know but the like that's the only guy that really was was productive that Missouri was losing. I mean, did all the other guys you know have moments? Did Torrance have moments? Did Parker have moments? Well, absolutely. But would wouldn't you rather try to bring in somebody in uh, in Torrance's spot that could maybe get closer to the type of production that you got from Drew Smith? Uh, or Mark Smith, and then, uh, and I think in in large part, like I, I think that's what the coaching staff is hoping they're they've gotten from the three guys that they've added. Uh, you know, very clearly, they still have a couple spots if they they want to use them. Um, you know, and they're hoping that the incoming freshman class can be uh, can be a good pickup also. But it's it's so difficult. You know, particularly when you look at this year like i would have said uh if you did ask me before even before last year for example like texas a&m uh we both love the buzz williams hire he's a great fit in texas he's from texas 
Uh, he's had success at Marquette. He's had success at Virginia Tech. Uh, he's a guy who knows how to build a program. He's got a proven track record. Uh, and if you did ask me, like, before last year, well, what's Texas A&M going to look like? Uh, not this upcoming season, but next season. I'd have said, you know what? I think that, that they're probably going to be an NCAA bubble team, uh, you know, top half of the conference. Now, eh, I don't know. They got so, eight transfers out. Yeah, so they, they lost, uh, th- well, three of those those transfers are graduate transfers. So uh, that's Marfo, Chandler, and Flag. Uh, three guys who decided they wanted to continue to play college basketball, just like Mark Smith did, um, you know, even though they were seniors. I haven't heard one way or the other on uh, on Quentin Jackson, who was their other senior, but they lost their leading scorer, Emmanuel Miller. Um, they lost uh, Jonathan Aku. They lost Cassius uh, Cassius McNeely, who, who McNeely really hadn't given them anything. Um, he was fairly highly touted kind of coming out of high school. Um, but I think he, what was he, hurt as a freshman and redshirted. Yeah. And I think this year, like, got COVID yeah. and then sat out. Robinson never uh, really but, hit when he was supposed to But be. Robinson, well, Robinson was, a like, a highly rated four-star kid who reclassified. Yeah, reclassed and came in early. And didn't came in much. early and... And like that's that's a guy that like look, you realize if, if he reclasses and comes in early, it's probably gonna be bumpy. Let's live through the bumps because of this kid's ceiling. And he yeah, so he transferred out. Yeah, you were looking at hopefully Manny Obaseki, a top thirty kid, pairing him with Robinson, then having Hassan Diara, another top one hundred kid at your point, and that's your backcourt. Like that was the plan was, and then you would have add Andre Gordon in the mix, who had been, who had shown him some stuff this year, and that was your plan. And now that's all gone to hell in a handcart. So, it's when the dust settles, it's going to be really, really interesting to assess which rosters got better, or which are just, or and how much we're going to have to recalibrate expectations for some programs. Which is why I just think it's ludicrous that we've got people trying to do top 25s right now or even coming close <laughs> yeah. to trying to project a pecking order for the conference here. It's just it doesn't make any sense to do that right now. Um, I think for the most part, if you're Missouri, though, you know, maybe the staff has always moved in stealth. They... They always seem to have a surprise up their sleeve. But I, my sense is that I think they would only want to have to fill one more spot. There, there, there's one spot they have to fill and one position they need to fill. And then that 13th scholarship, you know, just given how much turnover there's been this year and kind of the still a slight bit of roster imbalance that Missouri's got, I'd want to hold that. I'd want to pocket a scholarship this year and save that so you could have three spots in 2022. But the one spot that Missouri needs to fill is is a big. They need to get a front court piece. Um, Yaya Kate is coming off a knee injury. Most of our listeners know that. Jordan Wilmore uh, played sparingly. That is a <laughs> generous interpretation. Yeah. And we love... Trevon Brazil, but he's going to need some weight, and he still probably skews a little bit more to the four than the five. In other words, Missouri's got a freshman with a knee injury, a freshman who needs to add some weight and maybe closer to a four, and a guy who played an average of one minute per game last year. That's the front court rotation at this point. They need to get a proven body. It doesn't need to be a guy who's going to be an instant impact guy. It doesn't need to be a guy who can really even score a ton for them. But they need a guy, and you and I are broken records on this, who can rebound, play positional defense around the rim, and you know be a good cutter or a roller. And that's what they need. It I, He can be undersized, he can be 6'10", he can be whatever, but they need a big to anchor at least, I think, the starting five and to give those freshmen in particular 
some cover. You know, some concentrated fire and what's going to be a pretty concentrated cover fire and what's going to be a, a transitional year for the program. Um, and so far, we have not seen uh, them land that guy. Uh, Christian Bishop was one a lot of folks were hoping for. Uh, unsurprisingly, his commitment uh, took off and his finalists about a week ago were Texas, Kansas, and North Carolina. A day later, he picked Texas. So, yeah. Uh, he went from a like a top twenty five like program, starting at you know to three programs who are you know arguably in the top ten uh, you know programs in all you know, all time history or you know however you want to say it like top fifteen Texas, in the last twenty years at minimum. So he yeah like te- Texas isn't a blue blood. The other two are, are absolutely blue bloods. Um, you know, but Texas has the money of a you know, a blue blood and, and they just hired a staff full of killers. Like, yeah. And, and probably, I mean, I would say one of the five best coaches in college basketball right now. Yeah. So that was not a shock there. You and I had been, uh, pining for Daniel Oladapo of Oakland. Uh, he cut his list last Friday, then deleted the tweet where he cut his list after I major started calling, and then committed. This is like just all the weirdest, weirdest situation. Like it's all of it is just so weird. And then commits to Pitt two days later. Um, Missouri had reached out initially when he went into the portal, and you and I uh, banged fist, banged cups, banged shoes, whatever imp- instrument on tables for them to go all out and sign him. Maybe they contacted him. Maybe he wasn't interested. We don't know. But it is unfortunate because that guy ticked off every box. You would have wanted for a, a one year rental at the five spot, and so so he was a guy. He was a, a he was a junior, but he was a fourth year junior, right? So the thing the thing that I like about Oladapo, and I mean, we don't really need to spend a whole lot of time on him, but I like the fact that you could potentially graduate him next year and be like, you know, thanks, son. Now you can go be a grad transfer, um, you know, and. And well, yeah, and and basically free up that spot uh, while still getting somebody who could at least be replacement level at the five. Uh, why they didn't pursue? I don't know. Like, I, there's his recruitment was so weird. I mean, really, Saturday he posts a tweet with the top two. By Saturday night. So and the top two are Wright State and Cal State Fullerton. Saturday night, I noticed the tweet is gone because I was going to put it in my post for Sunday morning. Um, and then so, at some point on Sunday, uh, Jake Lieberman uh, said that Wright State was still in it. Cal State Fullerton had dropped out. Hours later, he's contacted by Pitt, Iowa State, Oklahoma State. I, th- I think that's it. Like like three high majors, and the next day he's committed to Pitt. Like, what? <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, it, it's whatever. I like, and again, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on a guy that we have no idea how involved Missouri was, if at all. It was just the weirdest, weirdest situation. Um, so so yeah, I mean clearly they 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 need a big, um, but we're at a point. I mean we're at a point where it's just like I don't, I really have no idea who they're going after. Uh, you know we we have our little uh, our little clues on Twitter and stuff that we we like to try and follow, um, but you know the 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 scent uh, so to speak is kind of dried up. Yeah, and this is the one thing I. I'll be interested to look back and kind of see what the distribution was this year, but usually the transfer portal skews heavily towards the perimeter, mostly towards combo guards and point guards. Like, there's lots of guys want to have the ball in their hand. Usually there's only one person who's entrenched in that job in any program. Sometimes combo guards want to be more point guards. Sometimes they want to play more wing. So they go out and they try and find a spot to do that. Good bigs are pretty rare in the portal. Now, which is why Bishop was so coveted, was that he was a modern kind of 
small ball five. Oladapo was not like the most agile and like fluid athlete, but he was a but he did what you needed to do and he had some functional ability to play in space. He was a he fit a lot of the you know you know meat and potatoes of what you want in that spot. Now you're at a point now where if you're hunting the portal, you're you're gonna have to make some concessions. Um, you know we liked Paul Polycap. He went off the board today to West Virginia. Uh, Terry Eason was another guy that was probably one of the top four or five bigs still on the market. He also went off the board to LSU. So these are probably your best options right now if you're looking at certain parameters for offensive and rebounding percentages, block rate, and you know finishing around the rim. I'm probably going to mangle this poor gentleman's name. Kura Kwath, um out of Oklahoma, who Missouri saw. He's a bench guy, 6'10", played 40% of minutes for the Sooners. Ticks a lot of boxes you want. Um, not a great shooter, not the most natural post player, but you've. But I think we could both say he's pretty agile for his size. He's got good mobility at 6'10". Uh, he's declared for the draft, supposedly, uh, or he says he's declaring for the draft, but he will transfer if not. Uh, and he wants to go to a place that's going to have a chance to make the tournament next year. So uh, on those points alone, that just you know, reading tea leaves, that would make it, I think, hard for Missouri. Um, then you have Nick Onginda out of DePaul. Uh, DePaul was terrible last year, but he played 40% of minutes in a high major league. Uh, Tyreek Smith was at Texas Tech, but he was really at the back end of the bench, only played 21% of minutes for the Red Raiders. And then it's a bunch of guys from mid-majors who are playing 30 to 40% of minutes. And as you can probably guess, and, and we know pretty well, uh, when guys make that jump from a, from a mid-major or a low-major up to a, a high-major league, they see their minutes dip. So if you're only playing 30% of minutes at a mid-major, you are probably not primed to come in and be a guy who can give 40% of minutes to Missouri on the bench. So all this is me saying, Sam, the options are looking pretty slim right now in the portal <laughs> for, a, for a proven guy to come in. Right. And, uh, you know, like, we don't know, we don't know what their board looks like. And this is the tough thing, like, as many college basketball programs as are out there, I feel like generally the fan bases are able to figure out kind of the layout of the board because somebody within the program uh, will talk to the media <laughs> off the record, right? So, so the, the way it kind of works is uh, head coaches, assistant coaches, Nobody affiliated with the University of Missouri can talk openly about recruits uh, to the media. But you can go off the record and and you can say things on background. So you can you can basically say like, okay, like we're recruiting this guy, we like him. Uh, we're gonna try to bring him in for an official. you can you can say these things as long as it's understood that it, it is not on the record. Um, but Missouri doesn't do that. Kanza Martin uh, doesn't communicate with media members in that way. Uh, Hollander doesn't do that. Mann doesn't do that. Uh, you know, Harris like, can't seem you know figure out if if he's a guy that would do that. like nobody on the staff is talking to anybody, and those are the guys who know the board. Um, and I th think at this point we can say, like, at the very least, Conza Martin runs a competent high major program, right? Like, at the least. Uh, even if you're a guy who hates Conza Martin, you have to give him that. He runs a, a competent high major program. Um, but he, he just, he, like, that's the, the part of the game that he doesn't play. And so the only way that you find out who they're recruiting is through the kids that they've contacted. Um, some of the kids are more forthcoming than others. Uh, some of the kids embellish 
more than others. Um, you know, like you can usually tell. So, for example, uh, like Jake Weingarten is a, a pretty prolific recruiting reporter. Uh, he he hustles a lot, talks to a lot of kids. I mean, his questions aren't great, but you know, like he's out there doing work, getting guys on the record. He's talked a lot to Avery Brown, and Avery Brown always mentions Mizzou. Um, so that's a good indicator that Avery Brown is high on the board because Mizzou is always in contact. Players know like when they're being recruited hard, and if a, if a coach is always in contact with you, you're being recruited hard. So we, we know at this point that in the class of 2022, Avery Brown is about at the top of the, the board for point guards, right? We also know like Aiden Shaw uh, is at the top of the board for like wing combo forward. Uh, you know, like these are things that you can figure out if, if you sort of follow all the, the tea leaves in recruiting. The portal is a different animal though, because the majority of the kids that are that are going into the portal have already been through the recruiting game, um, and not very many of them. Uh, are looking to sort of have their moment again. Uh, you'll get kids that are like uh, like Noah Gurley, um, who was really really under recruited, and then you know obviously had a really nice couple years at what East Carolina, um, Furman, whatever. There was another kid from East Carolina, uh, but yeah, so like he's playing at a at a lower level. Wasn't really highly recruited, so now it's like his chance in the sun. So he's going to kind of take advantage of that. And so you get kind of kids like that that want to just sort of enjoy the moment. But for the most part, the kids are just like, you know what, I just want to find my home. Um, and so there's a lot less information. And right right now, like, we can only go based off who these kids are saying have contacted them. And so, like, with Oladapo, we had the word that, that he was contacted by Mizzou. We don't know if that was Cornell Mann making, you know, a phone call, having a 10-minute conversation with Oladapo, and then walking away. And that, that could have been it. Um, we just don't know. And, like, that's the difficulty, I think, with, with trying to figure out what they're doing in the portal, what they're doing as far as adding, you know, this last big, is, is we, we just, there's no indication of what the board is. And it's like the most bizarre situation to be in. But at the same point in time, the it's clear what the need is. And so I think you can kind of monitor and look at, you can at least gauge the market and look at what options are out there, at least in the portal. And at least guys, you know, knowing what Missouri's going to need, they're going to need a guy who's probably going to you know, give you 20, 18 to 20 minutes a night. So that's probably a guy who's 40 to 60% of minutes. You know, you're going to need a pretty competent rebounder and a guy who can convert around the rim. You can kind of look at median rebounding and defensive you know, rebounding rates and use that as a parameter and kind of, and just 50% finishing around the rim is like a minimum expectation. You should finish half your shots. So you can kind of like use Torvik to chop down the portal list and kind of see, okay, this is what kind of the, the list of options are. And if you do that enough over time, you can kind of see that winnow down and you can kind of begin to understand like, okay, the number of like high majors or top quality mid-major plus bigs is, you know, that's hollowing out, the board's emptying. Are they going to go look for a late bloomer in spring of 2021? Are they going to go Juco? You know, they were reportedly talked to Langston Wilson, who's a 6'8 Juco product who had been committed and signed with Alabama but was basically shoved out of Alabama to make room for them to take in Amari Burnett some other guys this spring but then you watch tape of Langston Wilson and you're like oh he's more of a jumbo wing not a post so okay the Juco guy that they've reportedly contacted is not a post who's the post so that I think that's the thing right now is as you sort of look at the board if there's any anxiety, I think it's just that you haven't seen, you know, I think for a little bit it was like, okay, don't fret, don't fret, because every day 25, 30 more dudes are going in the portal. 
that pace is slowing down now. Guys are starting to clear. We're at about 1,200. We're probably near the high watermark of dudes on the move. There are probably more guys in the portal than there are open spots. So it's, at this point, it's just, you know, wait and see who comes in and who says, hey, I'm talking to Missouri a lot. So it's it's wait and see at this point. Um, but they need to get they need to get a big again. Keep the twelfth, or I should say, keep the thirteenth scholarship open. Would be my inclination at this point. Um, because there's some guys in 2022 that I think uh, will fill some needs for them, and also I just think you want to have that a little bit of you know roster balance there. So if they just got one more big and held on to that thirteenth scholarship, I'd be fine. Yeah, I mean, I've told you the other day the the amount of guys who I find really intriguing uh, in the twenty twenty two classes is is long. Uh, I mean, like we we were talking the other day, it's just like um, you, you, we both really like Avery Brown, we both really like Aiden Shaw. It seems pretty clear that those guys are kind of towards the top. Uh, you know, there's a I mean, so like Terrace uh, Reed is another guy who, you know, I think you and I are probably both skeptical that he would end up at Missouri, but still a guy who, you know, you're you're probably paying at least a fair amount of attention to to you know try to keep him in the fold. Uh, and then they did actually uh, finally offer a, a couple new guys. Uh, in this class, um, so they offer Jonathan Dunn and John Lovelace. Um, Lovelace is a Wisconsin or Wisconsin kid. Um, you know, six seven, six eight, kind of uh, big wing. Uh, <laughs> seems to fit the mold. Gonzo just likes all these six seven guys. Um, and then Jonathan Dunn is a guy who I think you definitely want to keep your eyes on just because he's so he's uh originally from st louis went to hazelwood central east one of the hazelwoods um and uh his mom got transferred down to southwest missouri where he ends up in rogersville um which is you know it's outside springfield a little bit um so he plays with yanders law and and yanders is uh the same AAU program that delivered uh, Anton Brookshire and Trevor Brazil to Missouri. So obviously there's a good relationship with the AAU program. Um, Dunn is a you know Missouri kid. He's six seven athletic. Uh, I think originally he was in the 21 class and reclassed to 22. Um, but still, yeah. So he's, he's older, but he you know he's a kid. He he plays hard. He's athletic. Uh, you know, he, I think he fits a lot of the things that, that cons likes to do. So I would, I would think that if, if he's a take, he's probably, a a kid that would commit pretty quickly. Um, that said, I mean, it's just like, like you've only got so many spots and I mean, I, I think you really want to make sure that Aiden Shaw has a spot if he wants one, <laughs> Uh, and it's just like, and, and so, you know, those two guys aside, like you start to kind of make your way through the list of, of kids in the, in this class that, that Missouri has offered or has least been in contact with. And you're like, man, there's a lot of really nice players, uh, but you can only take so many. And I, I think it's probably looking like a, a two to three man class at most. Yeah. And if you're going to hold for Shaw, it's, it's probably two at, at most. And you're going to... Javon Pickett's leaving, so that makes sense. You're going to need a wing. Shaw's a priority on the wing. That's So then it's just figuring out what you want to do with the other two spots. Do you want to go ball handler? Do you want to go combo forward? Do you want to go big? Um, you know, Kobe Brown will be a senior, so presumably you will want a combo forward, which is where, again, Dunn sort of checks the box that you would you could get done. So to me... You know, I look at their combo forward board. Isaac Trout is playing his way into blue blood status. Missouri was in there early, but man, that kid is just playing his way. 
sort of out of, I think, Missouri's reach. Um, you know, there's Jai Smith, you know, who's more of a post. You know, there's Terrace Reed, who I think is more of a post. So, you know, to me, if Dunn is a take, then I think, you know, that's that's a spot you'd want to fill there. And then it's really, do you want to go ball handler or do you want to go other, another post? So um, the board, we're at 22 guys have offers. Missouri typically lands around like 28 guys with offers. Um, the staff will be able to go out on the road starting June 1 again. The never-ending dead period lifts that day. Um, but, you know, with two to three spots and 22 guys on the board, how many more offers do you have go out, especially if you're prioritizing one guy for that spot. So be curious to see how much more the board expands going through spring, um, going to that 22 class. So that's kind of the roundup there uh, as to you know who's coming in, who's going, kind of how the, the roster balance is working. Um, There's also the, uh, the, the Juco kid who I think is a little intriguing. Um, you know, Dalen... Rignall, I think. Rignall, I think so. who's I think he's originally a Kansas City kid. Yeah, he's at Cowley it, College, I think. Uh, yeah, was that was he at Rockhurst? I think he was Rockhurst and um, Cowley, and he had a good. He had a little bit undersized. I think six six and about two ten. Yeah, he's he's listed on two four seven at a high school at six seven. But if you watch him on film, he doesn't he doesn't look quite that big. I would say probably like six five six six. Um. And he's listed as a power forward, but he looks he looks very much to me like a like a combo forward, a, a guy who, I mean, he he shoots a lot of threes, um, shoots a decent percentage too. So, um, it, it that's an interesting guy. Uh, I think it's worth maybe kind of paying attention to see if more happens there. But I I just look at him and I don't think he's what Missouri needs. Um, if they end up taking a guy like that, uh, you know, who is more, um, uh, more of like an undersized kind of combo for it, then I think Missouri's going to play a lot like Georgia did this past year, which play small, <laughs> play small, play fast, and yeah, and gang rebound. Let's, let's see if we can get to like eighty-five possessions. What do you say? Um, I mean, I'm fi- I'm fine with fast tempo. <laughs> It'll just I'm just not sure how rebounding is going to work, and uh, especially with a young team playing at tempo with turnovers. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if that's something I'd want to do, but um, we'll see. I, as I look up and down the rest of the SEC, though, it's it's really hard for me to sort of fit where Missouri would be, you know, slot this team potentially. Um, I think just in terms of youth, they're going to be on the younger. They're probably going to be one of the youngest teams, if not the youngest team in the conference. Uh, you know, Alabama's got three freshmen coming in. Arkansas just two. Auburn just two. Florida has one right now. Georgia with just three. Kentucky with just three. LSU. LSU is up there. LSU's got four. Freshman coming in, Mississippi State three, Missouri's got five. So it's probably, you know, LSU, Missouri, Ole Miss, South Carolina, and and Tennessee are all bringing in big freshman classes. But Tennessee's freshman class is just monstrous. So they've got four top 65 dudes coming in. They're bringing back John Fulkerson. They're bringing back Victor Bailey. And they're bringing back Josiah Jordan-James. So Tennessee's going to be a lot like they were this year. A lot of top-end talent with some veterans. Um, South Carolina is an absolute mess. <laughs> their, their, their roster was six post players, four freshmen, and one point guard. Um, hey, it's 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 certainly an approach you can take. It, <laughs> It is an approach that is accurate. I mean, at this point, are we sure Frank isn't like trying to get fired? I mean, he's every we're what on like two straight off seasons now where Frank Martin's been reportedly looking at other jobs, 
and like New Mexico and Cincy were supposedly also options for him. So who knows? Maybe he's also at that at that like stage of his career. Maybe he's just looking for that buyout life. You know, like you take you, you get bought out, you go sit on a beach somewhere, drink a few mai tais. Yeah, wait for a mid major job to open in Florida and and take that. Just to you know, boost the not, not even a mid major job. Like I, I'd, I'd like take the uh, FIU job if it opens. Just pop up the, there. The D three job. Yeah, or JUCO job. Just take a JUCO job there. Um, oh. the uh, the Eckerd College campus, Matt, is is quite beautiful. I believe they're, uh, I believe they're NAIA. I had a, a high school classmate go there. He enjoyed his four years immensely. Um, <laughs> the. Ole Miss, they have four freshmen. Uh, Deshaun Ruffin is showing up. Uh, he's a top 50 kid. Uh, interesting roster. They've got Nasir Brooks coming from Miami. Ty Fagan in an interconference transfer. Hell yes. Give me all of them. And then Jamin Brakefield, who was a top 75 kid, never broke through at Duke. Again, kids, unless you're a top 30 kid, don't go to Duke, don't go to Kentucky. Don't don't go to a blue blood. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're gonna you're gonna just be finding a new home, a new zip code, twelve months later. Um, but Ole Miss, they've got some pieces back. They've got Luis Rodriguez. They got Jarkel Joiner. What I'm saying here is Missouri. I think Missouri and LSU are two teams I look at with just a lot of youth coming in. And. Not a lot of established pieces. Like, LSU's got Alex Fudge and Jarrell Colbert, who are two top 75 kids, but, you know, they've got Xavier Pinson, but we we know Pinson's game a little bit. We won't rehash it. Like, I just look at, you know, across the SEC, and again, still a lot in flux. Just Missouri, LSU, and South Carolina are teams that I think are going to be pretty young don't necessarily have a ton of established pieces and are going to be trying to figure some things out. Now, LSU and South Carolina brought in some, you know, I mean, LSU and Ole Miss brought in some okay transfers. I think it softened that a little bit, but it's just, it's going to be really interesting. I think what Missouri does here and sort of what their roster is going to look like when it's all said and done, because I think they're going to be fully youth. They're going to be asking two mid-major guys to be transferring up and uh Deshaun Gordon is probably more of an energy guy than a dude who you can rely on to be you know a productive scorer every night for you so it'll it'll just be interesting what the roster looks like at the end of the day but you I didn't know as you sort of assess the league just anything jump out to you and how the league is shaking out sort of where and what it might mean for Missouri as it, as it kind of goes through the process. Well, I noted uh, today on Twitter that uh, Keontae Johnson uh, basically announced that he is not going to be entering the NBA draft, and instead he's going to be preparing for the upcoming season. Um, so for me, like that puts a big asterisk sort of next to, to Florida as a team that you might want to watch out for. Uh, obviously, they need to get Colin Castleton back. I, both Trey Mann and Scotty Lewis are gone uh, for sure to the NBA. Um, but if you get Keontae Johnson, you pair him with, uh, uh, you know, with basically some of the the, the transfers that they they're bringing in, like Myrian Jones, um, you know, Brandon McKissick. I think might be a little overrated by some of like the people that have been making lists and, and all this kind of stuff. Like I, I was looking at him and I, I certainly thought he, he would have been a good fit at Missouri. Um, but I think he was a little bit more of like a, a space, the floor, play good defense. Um, not super high usage guy. He, he's their uh, no lock. If, if, if he's being used. Yeah, I've, I've just saw several lists with like him in like the top 20 and top 15 of like available transfers. I'm like, really um and again like i i thought he'd be a good piece um so you know but i think the bigger pickup for them was was jones uh i also don't hate them picking up flandris fleming i mean just for his name alone 
but I also think like Kawasi Reeves is a guy who could be really good. Uh, and then they, you know, like, um, I don't really know how to say Samson's last name, uh, but he's a kid who looked really good uh, in high school and looked like he could be a piece. Uh, and both he, him and, and uh, Niels Lane are, are, are back. So I just think like the the composition of the roster again, and and this is sort of a, I think a theme for us when we, you know, looking at Florida, um, we love the roster. Yeah, the roster always looks good, and then it goes um, ten and eight, <laughs> and so they should be. Uh, but you know, Keontae Johnson, if he's healthy, I think takes that already good looking roster and sort of pushes them uh, into a team where you might want to consider them as as a favorite. I don't love what Cal's doing at uh, Kentucky. Um, he's obviously making moves with his assistant coaches. Reports are out that he's hiring Orlando Antigua and Chin Coleman away from Illinois, which on one hand, hilarious that it kind of weakens, um, I think, Brad Underwood's probably biggest weakness, which is recruiting. Player getting. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's not he's not the most charming of people, if you can imagine. Um, Recruit. His his, his and I also to a I also love the fact that, <laughs> yeah I also love the idea that like Antigua was just out there collecting Puerto Rican talent. Um, so people don't know like Orlando Antigua is Puerto Rican, uh, and and relates very well to a lot of these uh, very talented Puerto Rican players like you know uh, Carvello and um, and who is the uh, uh, the other? Kim, he um, just signed a couple weeks ago, but they've got. He's also got. They've got like four. He's a, they've got like four Puerto Rican kids, a, and I just love the idea of like all these Puerto Rican kids in practice at Illinois just cursing out uh, Brad Underwood in Spanish, and he just doesn't understand what they're saying. He also has connections to like the New York area, New York Lightning, PSA Cardinals area, like that reach. They've been able to like go into the Northeast and pull guys like Cove uh, Cokeburn out and get them down. Chin Coleman. Uh, connections to Mac and Fire, so he's your Chicago guy. Orlando Antigua is your Puerto Rican and Northeast pipeline dude. Um, they don't really have the East. The question that'll be interesting to me is: Do they try and go back in and you know, hire another Urban on staff, um, or both? I think are at in college jobs now. I think. Uh, Chicago State and Western Illinois. So what do you do to get back into Chicago? Or do you turn your attention back to the Metro East? Uh, they kind of pivoted away from there after Liddell uh, and kind of had really focused their fire up on Chicago. They had kind of stayed out of St. Louis a little bit. I think they only offered Terrace Reed like this spring, which just seems weird. They would wait that long on a top 80 kid when you know Michigan State, Ohio State, Purdue... Iowa, every Big Ten team they're competing against is offering him, but they did not. Uh, so, will they? Will we see a renewed fight in St. Louis? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see there. But to your point about Cal, uh, he's got plenty of post dudes this year. He has. Oh, I just feel like he's overcorrecting. I like. I think like this year was very clearly a, a bumpy ride for them and and Cal's formula didn't work for the first time um really in in a long time his 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 formula of getting just the best players he can get uh at you know all mainly coming in as freshmen uh, and and just having a a summer and a fall to sort of you know get them playing really good defense and then just let the offense kind of figure it out. Um, and this year it didn't work. And I so I feel like he's he's overcorrected and gone away from getting as much talent as he can to trying to find the right pieces that fit. And I like. I think Kellen Grady is a really nice player. Uh, you know, CJ Frederick out of Iowa was good. Frederick, uh, Iowa, very nice player. But are those guys that are going to lead you to an elite eight of Final Four? But say he pulls in Adam Miller too. I, I still like. I mean, Adam Miller is a nice player. 
Um, but again, like we're talking like top 30, top 40, top 50 level talent, uh, you know, versus the guy that Cal was used to getting, which is like top 10, top five, uh, you know, guys that are going to come in and be difference makers. They're all going to Gonzaga now. <laughs> well, yeah. So it's just like, and, and I, you know, but I feel like I, the composition and what he's trying to do with his roster, like, isn't making sense to me because. It doesn't like nobody on this roster scares you. This is um, this has been my thought. If if, if Cal, it, it, this it, looks like like a team that's going to finish fifth in the league. Like it doesn't look like a team. Even even if they land like like Ty Ty Washington, uh, and there's another kid they're after. If they land Ty Ty Washington, if they land Adam Miller, and they bring in CJ Frederick, there's enough raw talent on that roster. Maybe top four. But what I would but say, but it's not Kentucky. But this is where I'm going. If you believe <laughs> that Cal's got a shift, if one and done is not working, there is no easy way to pivot from that. If you're using transfers, say it is Adam Miller, Kellen Grady, and C.J. Frederick, that that's your buffer. Like, even Oscar Schwebe, another transfer guy. Like, those guys alone, you know, with Lance Ware, you know, backstopping, Damien, you know, Keon Brooks is a, you know, kind of a culture guy, Dante Allen as a, as a floor spaker, spacer. Like, it's not perfect. It's not the dominant rosters you're used to seeing. But at least you've got enough raw talent to where your buffer zone as you kind of pivot towards getting some more program guys, some more longer term pieces to your roster, whether that's from the prep realm or from the transfer portal guys who are like Adam Miller, you know, if a buffer year is fourth or fifth, you know, that's still something that you can sell in Lexington because now you're starting to recruit guys in that fan base has always sort of had a cool relationship towards one and done winning a lot of games was a balm. If they're finishing fourth and, you know, Cal shifting away from one and done to a more longer term approach to recruiting, then I think that's something you can sell. It's just something that all of us who are really familiar with his model are going to, I think our wires are just a little bit fried watching this because it's not the smoothest pivot you would have expected. But if it is a pivot, I can sort of see the thinking behind it. If that that's my generous sort of interpretation of it. Yeah, I think that's that's a little generous. Um and again, like, you know, like I think I think Cal is a a good basketball coach, but you know, the people that sort of anoint him to be this uh this elite basketball coach, um I don't like. I just don't think he's an elite coach, X and o, X's and O's wise. I don't think he's a guy that you fear on the bench. He's an elite culture um, guy. He's an elite guy at creating buy-in and getting guys to accept. Right, roles. right. He 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 is a great uh, player getter, and he is a he has uh, always been really good at getting uh, getting kids to play together. Um, you know. But it also helps when you have more talent than the other guy. And and most of his years at Kentucky, in fact, almost all of them, uh, they've had more talent. And then this past year, they had, you know, average SEC talent. And they you got average SEC production. So, uh, And I, I still think, like, overall that roster probably had, um, you know, top four or five talent uh you know but it just didn't have the time to gel and coalesce that it normally would have um you could be georgia though (laughs) you could be tom green whose entire seven man 2019 recruiting class is gone none of whom made it to their junior year in athens yeah georgia's georgia's roster is and and his best incoming uh, recruit is number two sixteen in high school. Um, that's not really a place you want to be in. 
Like, this um, is what I would say. Like, Missouri fans, I understand, are, like, not happy about what could be a reset year this year. But, man, you could be Georgia. And, like, their best recruit is Jabri Abdurrahim, a former top 50 guy who started at Virginia and now has come to Georgia. Like, that's their best incoming talent piece. And, like, this roster makes sense if it's the same approach Tom took last year, which is I'm going to go into the transfer portal and I'm going to try and put the best transfer guys I can with Tamani and Sevier. And Savier. But both those guys have bailed. And so now it's a supporting cast, a former top 50 recruit, and three sub-200 guys from, you know, who are freshmen. It's just an utter breakdown. Like, the time for him to have taken transfers was two years ago when he had Ant-Man and put some real talent around, some real experience around Anthony Edwards and tried to ride some momentum there and, you know, have a little bit more sustainable long-term approach. Instead, he just went really young. Christian Brown and Jaquan Walton didn't develop as hoped. You know, last year was not good. You know, in aggregate, you know, Wheeler and Kamara have moved on now. It's just, you know, if, if we're any other program and not Georgia, which gave Mark Fox damn near a decade, I would say this is, this is a pretty, pretty big year for Tom and, and, and the experiment down there because the roster's not shaking out to be one that even in a year where a lot of turnover is hitting the league is one you're going to look at probably in a couple months ago. Yeah, that's a top half roster. And I think he needs the rebuild need needed to be at a point where it was pushing into the upper half this year. We'll see how how warm his seat is though. Well, we're at the uh 57 minute mark or whatever. Um and still plenty of SEC teams to get to, so we're going to wrap it up. Uh see what happens over the next couple weeks and talk about it some more. Um do you have anything else you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, no. Uh, I just I'd like to know who the post player is going to be in black and gold next year. That is maybe in two weeks we'll have a better idea. I certainly maybe. hope so. It's it anything's possible. Uh, anything is possible. Uh, go read Matt's piece uh, piece on John uh, Coleman uh, Boogie. It's really good. Um, it's only kind of long, so uh, I think it's it's digestible for sure. Uh, we will be back in two weeks. Um, I will like to say this might be our last uh, podcast with um, with Mitchell Hill as our our podcast producer. Uh, Mitch uh, submitted his resignation. He was tired of listening to us. Uh, talk which i don't blame him um that's why we're so appreciative of you know the few downloads that we do get uh but mitch has been awesome he has put together all these podcasts after we are done with them uh often uh late at night uh mainly because matt and i like to to get online and then blabber for about 30 minutes just to each other before we actually start recording um for all those nights where that you know 20 to 30 30-minute conversation turned into 45 minutes to an hour. Mitch, I'm very sorry. Uh, but you were a trooper through it all. We appreciate everything you did. Uh, thank you for the last four years of, of excellent uh, podcast production. Uh, and we will always consider you a part of the Rock'em Nation family. How's that, Matt? Is that good? So we're not kicking him off the Slack channel. Yeah, I mean, like he's he is leaving of his own accord. So it's not like, he's, uh, like he just... He got he got tired of us, I think. I mean, Ryan Herrera um, still shows up in the Slack channel, and we don't get angry about that. <laughs> yeah, I maybe one of these days I will remove Ryan, but there's just there's just something that you know brings joy to my heart whenever he pops in. Uh, so again, thanks to Mitch. Um, it's been a great ride, and uh, I hope he he continues to listen at least. At least set that, that download to auto-download and then you just delete it. It's fine. Uh, so we'll be back in two weeks, and we'll talk to you guys then. Thanks for listening.